This is a KTF Press podcast. We want to promote how to buck the system without striving for the system. How do we help them understand the blockages and obstacles that are in place? How do we help them maneuver around that? But also how do we help them understand that this is a system that we unfortunately have to um, work in uh, because this is what has been set up. Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God. I am Jonathan Walton. And I'm Cy Hoekstra. We are going to have uh, a fantastic conversation today about money and financial literacy in marginalized communities. Uh, we have an incredible guest here with us to have that conversation, a returning guest, in fact. Uh, but before we get to that really quickly, please remember, if you support, what we, if you like what we do on this show and you want to support us, please go to ktfpress.com. Consider becoming a paid subscriber on our Substack. That gets you the bonus episodes of this show. Uh, that gets you the whole archive of all of our newsletters and everything that gets you our full free weekly newsletter where Jonathan and I uh, send you uh, highlights from media uh, that will help you in your discipleship and political education. So please consider going to ktfpress.com, becoming a subscriber, and you can always get a free month by going to ktfpress.com slash free month, the free month to start your subscription. Okay, Jonathan, please tell everyone the wonderful person that we have back with us today on the show. We have Ms. Irene Cho, who has over 29 years of experience working with and leading youth, young adults, leaders, and families. She speaks nationally and internationally, has written numerous curricula, consults with churches and organizations on engaging youth, youth culture, community development, and racial justice issues, and is an advisor on many organizational boards. She is qualified to talk to us and for you to follow her. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Um, Irene has helped... Um, developed a financial literacy course aimed at uh, marginalized students. And I'm just, I'm really, really grateful that I can pass something on besides Dave Ramsey. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. <laughs> we avoid trying to incorporate Dave Ramsey as much as possible. And by Absolutely. as much, I mean 100%. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have so much shade. No, no hesitation right there. No so hesitation. Much. No hesitation. And so, um, so with that, uh, again, thanks for being here. And what what motivated you to create the Future Profits course, and and what are its goals? Oh, okay. So, thank you so much for having me. I love being here um, and having these great conversations with you all. Um, I, technically speaking, didn't create the course. So the organization that I work for, which is AbleWorks, they've been around for 15 years now. Um, and my boss, the CEO and founder um, of the organization, John Miotti, um, really launched the organization with the mission and value of creating economic justice or you know fighting for economic justice in marginalized communities and under-resourced communities and the launch of that was several fold in that they it, in the city called east palo alto which is now where facebook is located um if for those of you across the country to not know the context there is a famous 
city called Palo Alto, which is where Stanford University is located. It is a very, very wealthy community neighborhood. Um, and right next door, there is a small little enclave called East Palo Alto, which they fought for to create their own community. Um, so the history of East Palo Alto is really um amazing and awesome and fascinating, um, all wrapped into one. One of the issues though, uh, was a very heavily, it was very heavily black. Um, it has shifted now to be predominantly Latine. Um, but one of the elements of it was that they didn't have a financial institution. They didn't have a credit union. They didn't have a bank. And so everybody from hmm. East Palo Alto had to drive 15 minutes over into Palo Alto, um, and use banking institution, financial institutions over there. So, um, AbleWorks, my boss, really launched off by creating a credit union. And then from there, seeing the need um, amongst young people, uh, really, they were 15 years ahead of the time because mm. there was no such thing as teaching about financial education. I was not taught financial education information, any of those things. So they developed a curriculum um, that was to go into high schools and begin delivering information to high school students. So it has gone through, I believe we're on our fourth iteration at this point. And so um, me coming in with curriculum uh, writing background, I think, you know, it's been developing well, but over the course of the last iteration, um, which is divided into four units, a lot of the teachers were saying they wanted a bit of a more buffet, pick your topic type of um, a la carte type of thing. So we we revamped, we did an evaluation and now we have 17 lessons. So it's a 20 lesson overall, but we do an intro that we do two concluding for each semester. So as like a recap, we do Jeopardy game. They get very competitive. The kids are like, <laughs> love it. <laughs> they awesome. are screaming and yelling, like lots of like correction if the question is wrong, like they learned, <laughs> right? So. That's just so fun to see. But it's really 17 lessons overall that we felt um, were the core crucial lessons um, for what we are trying to deliver and teach in the high schools that we are delivering at. So we're in several different locations all across Northern California and Central Valley. So we have two regions that we serve. Um, yeah. So we've got about 1,000 students in Central Valley. We've got about 500 students um, in the Bay Area. That is awesome. Yeah, so we we have seen a couple of the well, a few of the um, uh, lesson kind of guides, the plans, the lesson plans. But boy, am I not a teacher that I couldn't think of that word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of family who are teachers, constantly talking about lesson plans, um, and uh, they are quite different than a lot of the other things that that uh, you see out there for teaching financial literacy. Can you? Talk to us about how it's it's different than what else is out there. Yeah. So um, financial literacy is technically not a new thing because banks have them written. Um, they have their own curricula. I believe mm -hmm. Intuit, who does TurboTax, they have mm -hmm. um, a curriculum. Dave Ramsey, I believe, has a youth curriculum. Um, and then there are two online courses, one called NextGen, um, finance and then everfi and then jumpstart also but jumpstart is a little bit more focused on the teachers so if any econ teachers etc want to take jumpstart really focuses on training the trainers type of deal um 
the issue is none of these curricula um, addresses a lot of the systemic issues that exist um, for the financial situation that our students are in. So next gen mm-hmm. finance, um, I do want to say because Tim Renzetta has uh, been very gracious uh, in somewhat partnering with us um, and having conversations with us. He also taught in East Palo Alto um, and saw the d- need there. So next gen finance is actually a larger organization than we are because we are really focused on just delivering um, in our the local community that we're serving in the two regions. Um, and so next gen finance because their objective is a bit wider of a net, they do have subsections and subchapters somewhat naming the systemic issues, but they do not deliver that directly in the classrooms. And I understand they're in the South. Um, I believe they teach some curriculum in the South and we do know what's happening all across certain red states um, rejecting quote unquote CRT content, which is not Mm -hmm. what we, we are, but we're not like, you know, we know, I know that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so because of that stickiness, they have it, um, as a subset, uh, an, uh, an additional supplementary information. Our curriculum is straight in there because we just basically, um, we are, we don't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because we want to basically Amen. name um, name the factualities. Um, obviously, we don't villainize anyone. It's not a pointing fingers saying that, hey, this is you know your fault or anything. But we do name the systemic elements that are that exist. Um, like we talk, we have a lesson on housing, and so we do talk a bit of the redlining um, and what and also the classism that exists of why there's limited housing available, especially in areas like the Bay Area. There's literally a a video from um, Now This News naming uh, Menlo Atherton, naming Atherton basically, um, which is where Steph Curry lives. And we saw the news. I don't know if some of you saw the news about Steph Curry blocking multiple housing uh, buildings to be built in his neighborhood, et cetera, Mm. uh, and low-income housing being built in Atherton, which is right a subset of Palo Alto. Um, And so this is a very prevalent issue in the Bay Area. um, And so one of the things that we really name are are those systemic elements that um, you know need to be discussed and and again rightly named as well as then how do we overcome this and what can you do about it the other some of the other parts is you know culturally speaking a lot of immigrant families Asian families Latin families. Um, they are very suspicious of financial banking institutions for mm-hmm. legitimate reasons. And mm-hmm. we don't, again, we don't shame any of that. We just name it. Um, we we validate the suspicions. Um, a lot of your, pa- like naming it because this is a curriculum to the students. So we say a lot of your parents have come or grandparents have come from situations that would cause suspicion of these financial institutions. Here's how... In the U.S., there has been some protection, like the FDIC insurance the coverage, et cetera. But we also say that's why it's important for you to stay on your bank. You know, we name how Wells Fargo, even though they are a grant sponsor for us, <laughs> they did provide us a grant. Are they really? <laughs> but we name it. Um, 
they've actually been a great partner. Um, one of the few that of banking institutions that have been actually involved and engaged in community development work. So it's mm. this weird juxtaposition of the big corporate like policies and actions that they have and yet doing the work on the ground, this mm -hmm. disconnect in this wide, very large, one of the largest banking institutions that exist. So right, again, America, capitalism, hooray. Mm. Um, so they are, and we say, we, we are transparent with the students that yes, we are sponsors and grantees of Wells Fargo. And yet we're also going to name historically that Wells Fargo did get caught with their pants down um, of, you know, <laughs> like overcharging banking fees, et cetera, to certain family members. So we name these things in the curriculum as we deliver the lessons. Um, the other thing that's a little different about our curricula is we have a very specific script that we provide um, to who we call our coaches. We don't call the people who deliver the lesson teachers because technically our teacher, our folks are not certified and we have volunteer folks. We have gracious, amazing volunteers who give their time, um, but we need to provide cultural education for them um, because mm. the heart and the intention is very amazing and beautiful. Um, the need to make sure we explain um, why it's important that we talk about what's the difference between a traditional bank versus a credit union, what benefits are there that exist, why really emphasizing why um, you know we need to talk about what is good debt, what is bad debt, what is what are the debts that um, what are the debts that really um, affect and impact families of color, um, in particular, you know, school loan debt, payday loan debt, um, all mm. those things. So we name that um, and we really then we have another lesson that we talk about where to find money alternatively, um, such as lending circles, which I knew nothing about. I only knew it according to our Korean word that said I didn't know that there was a terminology about that. It was just some weird subset thing that immigrant families do. And they have like this little group where they do. And now I'm like, oh, that's technically officially called the lending circle and financial institutions can back it up, um, et cetera. And so it doesn't become this like weird mafia-esque type of <laughs> lending that exists. Right. Um, and so, you know, I know there are a lot of amazing organizations that are trying to legitimize lending circles to make it safer so that more families can find alternative ways outside of going to a traditional bank where they'll get either a high interest or rejected. Um, and so we also talk about credit unions and how a lot of credit unions are exist in your communities now to support undocumented folks who need to open bank accounts, et cetera, and why that's a really good stable way to start building your equity and, and building your assets, et cetera. And then we talk a lot about, um, we talk about investments, um, you know, we talk about uh, insurance, why insurance is important, again, coming from very immigrant family contexts, um, the and kind of uh, naming again, the cultural elements of insurance might seem like a scam. And technically, there it is somewhat right, it's a necessary, it's a necessary evil that exists in our life. And yet, you know, in California this past year, we had extreme fires, which, you know, let's talk about all state, not uh, now coming. I don't know if Evacuating you were all state. State, state farm and all state. Not, yeah, they're not. Um, Insuring homes anymore. Right. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. So there's that, but there was a flooding. I mean, there was all these things and like our storms. I mean, tons of people had their cars damaged, houses damaged because of trees falling down, et cetera. So, you know, just naming the necessity of insurance, even though it might seem like a waste of money. And then the big lesson obviously is about uh, what is the best type of savings and then how to budget well. What does that look like? Um, and so in the budgeting lesson, we really love it because we do a case scenario. A lot of our students don't think that they need to go to college or don't think that they need to really think about it. Um, their career, you know, trajectory, et cetera. They're just like done with life because life has been really difficult. So they're like, I'm just going to graduate high school, barely made it by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to go get an entry level job. So we have them go through budgeting um, in the two regions. What does it look like if you got a 17 hour, $17 hour job? Now you're going to budget. And they're like, oh, shoot, I cannot afford to live in this neighborhood. I can't afford mm. to live in this community unless I live with seven other people. Um, you know, and so it was because students, I think they have this idealism. It's beautiful. I love it. You know, we support that. But it's really like, how do we help them take that ideology that they have of the dream? And we really do that as well. One of the lessons we start off the whole entire curriculum with is them vision boarding, which for me as an Asian immigrant kid, I never understood the value of vision boarding. I was always like, don't ask me what my five to 10 year plan is. Like, ask God. It, life has been completely unpredictable and mm. awful. And so how, why would I do a vision boarding? I don't even know what's going to happen next year. You know what I mean? Mm. But we talk about the value of that and we name that the life you want to live. And every lesson from there goes, returns back names. Mm. If you want the life you want to live, you need to learn about good debt and bad debt. If you want to live the life you want to live, uh, you need to know about good credit behavior. If you want to live the life you want to live, you need uh, to know about what how important budgeting is. You need to know about like what kind of investments are a bit safer. What kind? So we constantly really motivate not just, and I think that's a different element of our curriculum as well. It's not just, hey, you need to know about these like this financial information. All of this is tied together. Of like, you want to live that life. You want to buy a home. You want to, you know, go out and travel a lot. You want to provide for your family, you need to seriously think about all of these different topics that we're talking about, because that's going to help you get to the life you want to live. And so we really base it on that foundation. Um, and then even the housing element, like, it, which was kind of the most depressing topic for us here in Northern California mm -hmm. and Central Valley. Um, for those of you across the country, I'm sure you have read many, many in articles about it. We are struggling um, in the state of California with housing prices being so exorbitant, you know, so high um, and just out of control. And so, um, yeah, so we really we're trying to help them figure out, OK, if you want to rent, like just asking themselves serious questions. Can you afford a house? What do you need? Mm -hmm. So in the budgeting lesson, we talk about that where they, again, we do a scenario of if you got a $17 hour job, if you got a $55,000 uh, salary job, do a budget. What does that look like? Can you afford it? And so it kind of, it. what was really exciting was the light bulb going off in students' minds that, oh shoot, like I need to strive harder. Like, and that is the motivation, right? Because 
what is the motivation to get an A when your life is in chaos and your family structure is like unstable and you're you're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow? Why does it matter to get an A in like econ or or history or whatever, right? And so to to give a to give a value that it is school is important because it is going to help you get into a college that you'd like and you're going to be able to find a major that not only hopefully fulfills you but also provides a good um, economic stability and then how do you take that income and then how can we help you build equity through means by which are not too risky. We name that in investments mm. that, you know, a lot of your families probably think investing is gambling, but what does this look like? You know, and so we, again, a lot of our curriculum is about naming the truths and trying to overcome some mental blocks um, and obstacles and cultural blocks and obstacles that, you know, students can start reframing things. Like we did the retirement lesson, which some of our volunteer coaches were like, this seemed too far away, but students loved it. It was so mm -hmm. powerful because we named for them again, a lot of students from marginalized communities, we, we name it right at the, out the gate you probably need to think about two retirement plans. You need to think about the retirement plan for your parents mm -hmm. and you need to think about retirement plan for yourself right. yep. because a lot mm -hmm. of us, let's name the truth. We are our parents' retirement plan, right? And uh, in the first lesson, we have them go through what we call money statements and 100%. It was it, every time it makes me so um it just makes me smile at the generosity and hearts of our students that even though they're financially struggling and they see their parents financially struggle, 100% of the money statement saying, I want to make money so I can support my parents when I grow up. 100% mm -hmm. say strongly agree or agree. Nobody says somewhat disagree or somewhat or disagree. They all want to. And when we ask them, why, why did you chose the answer agree or someone agree? They're like, because our parents have sacrificed so much and we see that. So we want to pay them back. Right. And so in the retirement lesson, we name that, you know, some of all of you said that you wanted to provide for your parents when they get older you need to think about retirement. And so we have them do a breakdown. When you start retirement at the age of 25, here's how it's going to compound exponentially versus if you don't think about this and you start at the age of 40. And it was like, again, so eye-opening for them. And that's yeah. what we want. We want them to think about these things um, early on because I didn't think about these things early on. I didn't care. I, I, I was very, like, even in my ways of serving the community, I was like, I don't need to care about money, but you absolutely need to care about money because how are you going to help others when you can't like manage your own, you know, finances or you're barely making it. So you, one of the things that, you know, I love about what you're talking about, because you're focused on marginalization. Like, can we bring people who live in these like outside economic systems into the dominant system without losing themselves in it and being consumed yes. by it, right? Yes. And so it sounds like your students don't have resistance to, I want to plan for my parents. Mm -hmm. I want to plan to take care of the people around me. Mm -hmm. um, but your volunteers might have resistance to acknowledging the systems and structures. Right. I think that's, yeah, I would say, again, it's a bit complicated. A lot of our volunteers come from wealthier backgrounds. Some of them have finance backgrounds. And so this is where the education 
is required where we need to teach our volunteers the cultural elements of it um, because their heart is in the right place. They're like, oh, retirement's a bit too early for them because our students are 17, a few of them are 18, right? Um, in the middle of their mm-hmm. senior year. And so 18 is technically young, right? You don't actually start, I think most advisors say 25 is when you should start retirement um, planning. And so, and they're gonna be going to college. Most of them, if not about half of them have the desire to go to college and then some will start, you know, try to launch a business or um, get some kind of entry job. Um, And so they really won't begin to think about this. But again, for us on our end, it's about planting seeds because we know it takes time to break cultural, um, you know, cultural biases about Mm -hmm. which they've been ingrained and taught, you know, and so that, and also, you know, so we, on the subset, we have what we call, uh, so our program, our financial literacy program is called Future Profits. It's a play on word in that it's also P-R-O-P-H-E-T, like profit, like prophecy. So like, how can we help you have a prophecy of uh, financial gain and economic um, justice uh, for your trajectory. But we have a subset from our programs called Future Profit Clubs, where we meet with um, students who during their lunch hour, where they come, we've got a good 20 students that come every, um, you know, every Friday or whatever day that they choose. Um, And we have a subject that we talk about mental health and money, which is so great. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the objective is not to get wealthy. The objective is to gain control so that you feel like you have choices, that you know what decisions you need to make in order to um, get the life that you want to live, in mm-hmm. order to accomplish mm-hmm. that, in order to attain that. Right. And so versus the other way, which is and we say one of the top factors that harms families of color financially is lack of knowledge. And so you having information, even if you choose not to care about financial information, at least you know that you have chosen that path versus Mm -hmm. you didn't know at all. And you now wish at the age of 40, you look back and you're like, darn, if only I had known how important it was that I saved money didn't like I didn't know. And so I got into debt when I turned 18 because credit cards, I wasn't taught the correct information. And like, I didn't understand. So now I tell students all the time, your credit score, that golden ticket, it's a golden ticket. It is more valuable. And I'm sorry to say this is more valuable than your virginity. Like you need to guard (laughs) your credit score with your life, right? Like this is the thing. It's going to help you get rent an apartment. It's going to help you get a car. It's going to help you get a home. It's going to help you get, you know, equity. You guard that. And that's, again, we talk about that in the good credit behavior and we name it like for some, uh, I'm going to, throw my, you know, at least Korean culture, um, I don't want to clump all Asians together. Um, A lot of families, because of necessity, they use their children's social security. I I have also been in this situation and it screwed up my credit. Now I know I didn't go through as much, but like my friends have had their parents use their social security number to get loans and then defaulted. So they now have a bankruptcy on their credit score. Mm. And so it's like, how do we help students, especially from immigrant families 
And marginalized communities say have boundaries with their parents because they have control while also still giving space to be generous, like to understand what does that look like, right? Um, and how to help your parents begin to build their financial credit um, like situation. So 60% of our students have given us feedback on the surveys we do with them. We do surveys with them. Everything we do is data-driven. Um, we don't just feel it out, quote unquote, right? Which I know a lot of nonprofits <laughs> tend to do. Um, as one woman I met, she was like, she came from corporate world and went into nonprofit world. She's like, it's very squishy in nonprofit world. Like, that is the perfect word to describe nonprofit assessment. Um, so we do everything by data and our students, 60% of our students have come back and said that they have shared what they've learned with their family members, which is mm. amazing. One mm. girl, she shared with us, she said, my mom kept over kept getting overcharged, um, overdraft fees. And she finally sat her mom back down and was like, we need to figure out a budget. You need to stop wasting money by paying overdraft fees. Cause we talked about that in the banking lesson. And she said, it's been a month later and my mom has had zero overdraft fees from this point forward. And we've like really mm -hmm. worked. And so for us, it's like not just impacting our students' lives, but it's impacting their family lives as well as mm -hmm. hopefully their community lives. So, so one specific question I think about that, I think is, is, interesting around like mental health and family dynamics because mm -hmm. there is um there's this phenomenon i think in a, in a lot of marginalized communities where someone does go out and get a stable job with consistent income because they went to college or whatever and there used to be a community kind of what you were referring to before where everybody just kind of lends to each other all the time right like there's mm -hmm. if you're in trouble i'm going to give you some money to handle your emergency and then when i'm in trouble and i need i have a financial emergency you're going to lend to me and it just goes back and forth mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden there's somebody who is uh only lending and never asking mm -hmm. because they have they don't they don't actually need the money anymore or they or they don't mm -hmm. need it as often or whatever and that creates a lot of times uh, difficult family power dynamics and a lot of emotion. And so I think the mental health um, component of what you're doing is super interesting and important. And I just, I wonder if you've had to talk to students about that or, or what that's, what that's been like, or what kind of advice you give around that. That's a great question. I think because um, our students are still young um, and uh, only a handful of them are technically working right now. Yeah. They haven't, felt the pressure or need to contribute to their family yet. We have a secondary program um, called uh, Achievable, which we support community college students, um, usually first gen, um, in their first two years um, so that they get set on the right trajectory. I did not know this before starting this position that only 20% of community college students actually achieve their goal, yes. which is to transfer, mm -hmm. um, uh, complete an associates or certificate. So our program, we are at about a 75% success rate. They're on track to be successful. So we're really proud of that. Um, but we do name that because we have to walk through, walk them through as they're doing community college. Some of them have two jobs mm -hmm. because they're helping pay rent um, and supporting their families. And so we name a lot of that mental health and talk about um, conflict management and boundaries and what that looks like. Um, and so we, we go a little bit more in depth in our community college program and talking about 
what does it look like to make sure um, in the budgeting lesson we talk about you have to pay yourself first. So we name that as well. Um, we we do use the 50, 30, 20 rule. I know that there's some just, you know, pushback on that, et cetera. Go ahead. No, you should. Some people may not know what that is. So. Oh, uh, so if you look it up, um, when we talk about budgeting, it's pretty much the majority rule of thumb that's taught, uh, which is uh 50% of your budget should go to necessities like utilities, housing, food. 30% um, of your budget should go to wants. So anything that's like vacation or the new shoes you want to buy, um, you know, whatever that's considered a want, like you need a massage because your job is so stressful. Those all go under wants. And then 20% is um, the your savings. And so it actually works even though they call it the 23rd, the 50, 30, 20 rule, it should work backwards because the ideology or philosophy is that the 20%, you should pay yourself first. Um, so you should put away 20% of your budget into savings. And so what we do is we do talk about the importance of that and understanding that it is your money that you get to choose how you would like to distribute that out. And again, it's not, we don't, whereas other, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but it, <laughs> you know, there may be other financial curricula or teachings out there that say um, you shouldn't, you should protect that money, right? What we want again to do is to honor the cultural traditions and the cultures that you know, you can provide for your family, um, but it is your choice to decide then if you're going to save 20, uh, 20% that you can divide that up. 10% of that goes to your family. 10% of that goes to you, but it's up you. It's just understanding the breakdown so that it's not just parents randomly asking for money here and there. Um, a lot of our students choose to live at home even while they are in college mm. um, or even while they're working. And so that means that their 50% of their budget goes to rent, which is supporting their family, right? Um, and it's just helping them understand there's one video that i really loved i forget the group's name but they keep calling it running the numbers right and i really love that phrase um and so it's really helping students run the numbers to understand how much are you spending eating out right how much are you spending um giving your helping your parents um pay for rent how much are you spending etc on these things and like just helping them break that down and not shaming them because i think a lot of western predominant culture um, AKA predominantly white culture um, and privileged culture because rural cultures are rural white cultures are a bit different, right? We would consider them under resourced as well. So, um, you know, but that the mentality that this is your money, this is my money, I've earned it. Like my family doesn't get to touch this. And so kind of going back to your question, Sai, um, you know, we don't want to shame that part. We want to honor it, but we want to help students understand that they are empowered, that they have mm -hmm. the choice um, and they they just need to make the conscientious decision how much they want to sacrifice, how much they want to be generous and how much they want to give. Yeah. And, and that's OK. And that's good. It's just being it's being aware of what that looks like. Yeah. Something that I really appreciate about what you're saying is that it's empowering people to make a choice because yeah. so much 
of disenfranchisement, redlining, like it, you were strategically hemming people in so that they don't actually have choices. Yeah. And so creating a space where people have are, are empowered, we have choices, um, I think is is great. The 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 rub I'm wondering is, and this is a tension that I run into, is as I manage money and how I handle money, how do I not come to love money? Oh, um, and, yeah. And and the and obviously, like you know, for us, it's like we're trying to leave the the accumulation, the greed, the 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 goal of independence, right, yeah. at the expense of other people. Um, and so, how how you you've I think you've mentioned it, but like. Um, how does that look as people make their choices? That's a great question. Um, so we do talk about how important it is in life to love what you're doing. It somewhat like goes through, uh, it weaves in and out in the curriculum that money is not the be all end all that provides satisfaction, that you need to understand fulfillment in life, family relationships in particular, uh, friendships, etc., all of these things. Um, in the mental health, uh, in the mental health, you know, club session, we talk about the sweet spot that exists. You know, and research has shown this. I've had friends who've done ministry work in very privileged, um, high socioeconomic status communities, and the level of suicide, depression, isolation, um, abandonment, neglect, all of those things completely exists um, mm. in those communities. So it's a, you know, my husband and I, we, during the success, while we watched Succession, we talked about this, where, <laughs> you know, the level of, it's like, <laughs> you've now, you're now in a state where you don't have to fight every day. And like, what mm -hmm. is it with humans then making their own problems and drama? Because it's like, right. now that you don't have to fight, like, tooth and nail for something, and you have all this access, but you are dissatisfied, like, you yes. then create this like power dynamic, drama, struggle, like fight for something that is somewhat unnecessary as well mm -hmm. as, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not even false, but it, it's just, it's a puffed up it's element. It's construed. Like it's, it's construed. totally Thank construed. You. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right, right. So you have that element of it. So there, I mean, research shows there's a sweet spot where you don't want to be in, in such poverty that every day is such a struggle um, mm -hmm. uh, on the stress of your mental health, right? And there mm -hmm. is a sweet spot by which you can live comfortably, you can have um, a cushion of savings, and also allow space for generosity, as well as being able to go on vacation. Right. Um, it, it's still like, it's so weird. Humans are so, we're so interesting in that, you know, we do still require struggle. Like we taught my husband and I, we talked about this too, psychologically speaking, there's a sweet spot. You don't want so much trauma in your life that there it's like creating such harm that you cannot function. You cannot mm -hmm. succeed. You can't, you know, like you're just struggling with all the elements of depression, anxiety, like anger, you know, bitterness, and then the fallout of all of that, which, you know, all, you know, all the choices that are made that we know about. 
And you don't want to be so like without trauma that then you lack empathy, you mm -hmm. have no compassion, you don't know what to do with your life, you're bored, like all these things that exist when there's too much privilege, right? Because you can't identify and understand other people's struggles and you're in this weird bubble. So there's a sweet spot of trauma as well, right? Like <laughs> you you need a bit, this is why people want to do marathons or do sport. This is why sports is so good because there's technically a struggle that exists with athletics, right? You have to you have to push yourself to like gain control of that and push your body. And there's like pain involved in there, but it's like good pain, right? Which is so weird and anti-intuitive. Um, but there's something glorious about that. Then you overcome that pain and you accomplish right. the thing that you set out. And so there's a sweet spot of finance as well, where you're not quite so privileged that you don't have to think about it, where your financial advisor can steal hundreds of thousands of dollars of money and you don't even know like whether or not it came or went and all of these things. But you want it to this little, this like cushion area that's like, okay, I have a good home and it's solid and now I can think about how to raise my family and you know in a healthy way etc so we we really do promote that mentality with our with our students yeah so like it sounds like you know like I'm raising like my daughters are will never know what it's like to be hungry right. they will never know that right they they and so we talk about how do you instill resilience in someone yes. right without suffering and trauma and so you're really talking I, I would call like strategic adversity Right. Yes. Like you, we got to go through some things without causing unnecessary suffering and harm. Right. And so to, to bring your succession point home to, cause like I was literally having, I love succession, by the way, love the show. Um, <laughs> but to bring it home for people, it's like, I've had conversations with people in the last few weeks where they have the degree, they have the money and now they, they, they've lost their jobs they've provided for and their entire lives they've been working to belong and to provide yeah. and now they feel directionless yeah because if they don't have to get a job to provide and they don't have to make money to belong then what's the point right cuz again it seems like you're pushing people for concrete choices mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. in your vision boarding is there a pattern or something that you've seen that a, that a vision board leads to to freedom. Like, what what does a vision board that that leads to freedom look like? <laughs> that is a great question. Because I I was gonna say, you know, I, I wanted to let you finish, but <laughs> I went through the same identity crisis in a little <laughs> bit of a different way. I ended my last previous job, so I went through depression because things in my life finally settled down. My father had passed away. Um, and then I didn't have this job position that I had had for 11 years. Um, and we moved to a new community where I didn't know anybody. And I was like, I was trying to launch my company at that time. And um, I was having a really hard time with it because I, for the first time, did not know what motivated me to keep going. I was like, if I do not have external factors pushing me to set my day and set my agenda, what is me internally like? What does mm -hmm. it look like, right? So yeah, so it was really a, an internal question for me um, of like what it is that motivates me and drives me, right? Like mm -hmm. how can I find it internally? And I think we want to ask that question, that same question for students again, that's why even in the housing, we say to them, why do you want a house in the housing lesson? Like you need to ask these questions 
did you say you want a, is a house on your vision board because your family has told you this is what needs to happen um like what is the motivation so we do ask the philosophical question for them like as you think about what career you know you are going to choose why do you want to choose going into tech why do you want to choose going into medicine a lot of our students are wanting to become nurses etc um and because i think there's this belief or guarantee that that's a solid career. And so we just really ask it's OK. And if you enjoy that, then that's totally awesome. Right. If you can find a career path that you find enjoyment in that also gives you the equity and stability that you need, then that's a match made in heaven. And we tell them as well, your career right now doesn't mean it's going to be your career necessarily for the rest of your life. You can have a career change um in the middle like as you progress and then our community college program is really helpful like we've had several students one student um she wanted to do coding and she was going to go into tech um and then as she did it she found she really does not enjoy it at all coding is very boring it's very boring and we helped her pivot so now she's going into business major because she actually she's been doing retail um for her job and she was like i really like managing people i actually am really good at it she's mm. finding out um as a freshman and now she's a sophomore um in at community college and so we've helped switch her through our academic advisor and like what classes she needs to take she's loving all of her classes now right That's and awesome. so it's, it's yeah. that journey that we want to help students like in the majors with money thing we also stress that like just don't just strive after the money. You know, you might, yes, you might be making $150,000, $200,000 out the gate if you do this, but you really need to ask yourself, what do you enjoy doing? And if you're just getting a job for the money, a lot of times it's not worth your mental health, right? Um, and so we do name that. Um, and we don't, I don't think we directly name that very profusely in every lesson um but we do name it as we'd say the life you want to live but then understanding as we unpack that it, it's in every single like there's the subtle message of it goes across because i think all of us understand that um, luckily all of our staff program staff folks who deliver the lesson um they they understand that um and so while the yes, they they also believe and they want to help their students gain economic, um, you know, economic mobility. Um, they understand that you need to find fulfillment um, in the in the journey and in the process of all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. So we want to promote yeah. how to buck the system without like striving for the system, right? Like that's really at the end of the day, like when we were writing it when I was editing it, like that was my objective of like, how do we help them understand the blockages and obstacles that are in place? How do we help them maneuver around that? But also how do we help them understand that this is a system that we unfortunately have to um, work in um, because mm -hmm. this is what has been set up unless it gets 
it collapses through an apocalypse and then it, we subvert and we start from the ground up. Um, but this is what's <laughs> been set up for now, right? And so um, this is why in the, where do we find alternative money? Um, we wanna provide resources, even for the housing lesson, um, we want to provide a list of resources that allow you to start um, with your equity, but we name it too, like getting a house now in today's society, in the way the economy is working, having a house no longer guarantees a, an economic trajectory that it did 30 years ago or 20, even 20 years ago, right? Because um, 2008 was, dear Lordy, how long ago now? Um, and so my husband and I live in Oakland right now, and we are constantly looking at houses. We are renters right now because we are trying to build the equity, both he and I did not have the mentality of valuing um, stability in that way. And we are both regretting it. This is why I'm so passionate about this subject, right? Um, and I gave a lot of my money that I earned to my family in support of my family. Um, and now that I'm getting almost to the age of 50, um, we really want to ask these questions, but it's ex freaking expensive in Oakland. And so we were looking at a really beautiful house in Tennessee for the same price of $1.4 million that you could get a rinky dinky small two bedroom or three bedroom, like, I don't know, it was like 2000 square feet in Oakland. And it was like a 9,000 square foot home in Tennessee. And I was just <laughs> like, okay, but as an Asian American, I mean, my husband's white, so it's fine for him. But as an Asian American, the question, I was like, I turned to my, and the house was so beautiful. And I turned to him and I was like, but my question is, do I want to live in Tennessee, right? Yeah. As yeah. an Asian American. And so mm -hmm. um, that's, it, it's okay that we talk about that, you know, the truth right. about that. So you've talked about this a little bit, but I, I want to know what you're hearing from the kids. You do data-driven, um, you know, feedback from, mm -hmm. from the students. What are they saying? really good things they love it yeah. um they are glad even students who they <laughs> we've had students on the survey you know give us in the open-ended questions they're like i hate school we should just learn about financial education instead <laughs> of our other classes <laughs> so um it's it's been good um some of the lessons we're, we're editing we're going through revisions um we're not overhauling the whole thing like we did last year. Um, but like the insurance lesson, there was just so much to cover with insurance. And so we are cutting some down um, where we're not gonna talk about medical insurance just because of where they're at, because they are either covered by their parents or they're covered, they will be covered if they go to university. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we, we just talk about the basic terminologies of what is a premium, what is, you know, um, a claim, et cetera, all these things. And but we are going to talk about auto insurance um, and then we do, we will talk about renters insurance because they may go off and move out. Some of them, mm. most of our students are staying at home because economically it's just better for all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's happening. But and, and then, you know, again, uh, 65 to, to 70, depending on the school, um, percent of our students are Latine students. And so the culture is like, stay at home until you get married. So that's beneficial for our students. Um, and, and again, that's a reality. Like, this is a good time for you all. If you're working, um, you can save up money like when you're young. So we mm -hmm. name that. Don't spend all of your money because this is a good time while you're not paying, fully paying rent on your own. Um, but they loved the banking. Again, we named like, 
how important it is. You can get a bank account, even if you're undocumented, you just need your ITIN. Yes. Um, there are credit unions mm -hmm. that, you know, support undocumented folks and families. So you, if you open a credit union account, you could probably even also get a loan from a credit union if you're undocumented. So those are things that we named that cough, cough, Dave Ramsey does not name because most <laughs> um, financial curricula out there is like, so go with your parents to get open a bank account. Like it's super simple. And so we named that like some of you, we, you know, we named some of you are in the foster care system. Some of you um, mm -hmm. have guardians where it's your grandparents. Some of you have parents who are undocumented and your parents will not step foot in a bank. So what does that look like? How can you go to a financial institution that allows your parents to feel safer? And maybe you can That's actually awesome. open an account with your parents, right? Um, and so a couple of our students have said, I went to a credit union and I opened a credit union and I went with my parents and I had them open a credit union um, bank account as well. So those are just really fun things that we hear back from our students. Yeah. Um, again, the retirement lesson, I was petrified. I thought they were going to be like, why do we need to know about retirement? So many of our students were like, I'm so, so grateful that you taught us about retirement. These are things that I need to think about now yeah. um, early on. So they're giving that feedback, which is just so much fun. It's just so useful is the is the reason they yes. like it. I mean, it's yes. like when I got to that section in that one lesson plan that was like, here's how to, you know, here's the kind of tax ID number you need to get as an undocumented person. I was like, yes, thank you. Somebody is yes. somebody is is saying this to kids who need to hear it. Like it's just yeah. information that's. I mean, a decent chunk of the stuff like I didn't know when I was <laughs> when I was trying to get yes. started with a bank account or whatever. Yeah. Like right. it's just totally. it's stuff more people need to know and tailoring it to what they need to hear is so great. Yeah the the work the bulk load of the work is doing the research so nerd wallet yeah. names that as well right um they have nerd articles wallet. talking about it i know we do too um <laughs> and so we we do utilize the resources externally and we have in each lesson um and also what section where we're like hey we have vetted and sifted through all of the stuff and here's our top like 20 things in regards to this subject matter that you can go and look at more videos because our lessons are 40 minutes. So like, I mean, imagine trying to teach insurance in a 40 mm. minute segment. Um, it's really tight, right? Um, and we need to make sure there's an activity. So then that takes that away from content time. So there's a lot of these things that we are doing um, because again, our lesson is a bit of an overview lesson, which I know that there are other curricula out there that students can go to, but they won't go to it, right? Um, and it's so different. Like we had a school that was using, um, and I will name it, but it, it's EverFi. Um, and she was like, it was fine. The content was fine. But because it was online and they were kind of doing it on their own, the students were not engaged with it. And yeah. so having a person in the classroom where it's like a workshop, we have slides, we're interacting with the students, we're giving them space to ask questions, we're giving them space to push back, you know, and answering these questions that she was like, it's just sold. Like it's so different having somebody come in and deliver the lesson. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've been asked a lot about like, then why do we not do teachers, like teaching the teachers um, or training the trainers? Um, a lot of times the teachers, they love that we're coming in and delivering these lessons because that's 40 minutes of a classroom time, one day <laughs> out of the week where they're just like, I could like great yeah. papers, I could do things. They're in the classroom. <laughs> 
and you know our teachers are very engaged and interactive but like just being able to have that mental like a little bit of a sigh of relief while our coaches are delivering the lessons um is super um Amen. we'll see the state of california we do know like i know ohio has um mandatory financial uh education the state of washington provides incentives and so california is in the movement right now there's a couple of bills that we're keeping an eye on it's still not going to be full mandatory and in the sense of like, we give 17 lessons. So we're in the classroom the entire year. Um, and versus I believe what some of the bills that are being proposed, it would be one semester of mandatory um, financial uh, education, which it's just not enough, right? Um, and so we're gonna try to, if that happens, it won't be for another four years probably, but you know, we'll see how the economy turns and shifts and like how we would expand, et cetera, what we would do. Mm. I mean, this has been so great. We really appreciate you having here talking about money and all this with, with, you know, mm -hmm. the marginalized at the center. That's what, that's what we, how we want to talk about everything. So we, we really appreciate this whole conversation. Um, and I, I would just like to know where can people find, um, you or AbleWorks or Future Profits online or whatever you want them to find, where can they find it? So uh, go to able.is, I-S, um, I love our website. Um, and so from there at able.is, you'll see programs. We're revamping our website right now. So hopefully by the time this gets released out, um, will the website will have gone live. Um, so it's still available now, but it might shut down for like a couple of days while it's getting uh, revamped. Um, so Able.is, is our financial curriculum, our financial literacy program is called Future Profits. Our community college program is called Achievable. Um, we have paused our, we had a single moms program. I want to relaunch it as an entrepreneurial program, potentially, Ooh. um, mm. called Livable, um, where we can help maybe, uh, do a cohort of kids graduating from high school and wanting to launch their own business. So like going through a year long program where then they can at the end of the year begin um, launching a business on their own. Um, Cause we've got a lot of students, you know, social media, we, <laughs> the student who wanted to do coding, she was like, I want to be a coder or an influencer. Like the range was so wide. <laughs> um, and, so, <laughs> and that's the thing too, I think with students, we really want to help them be realistic. Cause I, you don't know, like my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. And now that I know what actually law work is, I would have been a terrible lawyer, right? Um, and so I would have hated my job. I would have hated my life. And so I, we want part of the thing we want to really help kids is understand what does this job actually look like on a day to day basis that yeah. you would find enjoyable or not enjoyable. Um, so, yeah, I think there's that's some of the issues with young people. They have this idealistic understanding of what that job is. And then the day to day grind of it is like completely different than what they saw on television or what they were told. Um, and so, yeah, we're trying to um, do that. Uh, so see if maybe this livable firm. So that's my little pipe dream that I'm hoping we can launch in like a year um, with everything that we're doing. Um, so, yeah. And then for me personally, it's all my social media is Irene M. Um, as in Michelle Cho, C-H-O. Um, so if you just do that, then you can find me on all the platforms. Some highly entertaining social media content coming from Irene Cho. <laughs> For sure. I can promise you that. Um, I feel like I have calmed down a little. <laughs> it's still entertaining. You can be calm and entertaining. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Irene, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks always for having me. Please remember to take a look at ktfpress.com slash free month to sign up as a paid subscriber with a free month at the beginning. Get the bonus episodes of this show. Support everything we do at KTF Press uh, and uh, get our, our weekly newsletter. Our theme song, as always, is Citizens by John Guerra. Our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam. And we will see you in two weeks. When you arrive, I see and you call us citizens. And you welcome us as children home. Right, um, and I was a little bit. Who, who, where was that? Was that you, Jonathan? Uh, that it is. It is opened up in Queens. Uh, it, is, <laughs> okay. it is raining, and the uh, well, Jesus might come back. <laughs> that's not. That's not the first time. Oh yeah, see now it's happening in Manhattan too. Irene, I will just uh, quiet that <laughs> while you're speaking, so you can feel free to finish your thought and ignore any further sounds coming from our microphones that are caused by Jesus. <laughs>